Is there a possibility of hyperinflation or should we expect some other economic challenge that may impact our future? As people who believe in being prepared, it's important to stay informed and ready for any potential scenarios that may arise. Hey, this is episode 782 of the Ready Your Future podcast, where I connect you with resources that will help you prepare for a better future. It's all about loving your people, getting prepared, and living free. I'm Todd Sepulveda, a regular guy living in the suburbs who understands the need to be better prepared for the future. Hey, are you looking to up your preparedness knowledge? Don't spend time bouncing around the internet for the best preparedness content. Instead, sign up for the top preparedness articles and get them right in your email. For $5 a month, you can get the top preparedness articles from around the internet sent to your email weekly. You can choose to read them or drop them in the Pocket app and have them read to you as you go about your day. The Buy Me a Coffee link to the top preparedness articles is in the show notes. Hey, everyone, and welcome to another episode. I want to give a big shout out to my friends in Singapore. Thank you so much for listening. Greatly appreciate your listenership over there. So we're going to jump right into this episode here and to this article. The article comes to us from Practical Self-Reliance, and Ashley has a nice little blog over there where she blogs about self-reliance. But this article was written by her husband. And so I wanted to talk a little bit about this, about hyperinflation. We always hear about like the Weimar Republic. We hear about when things even as recently as Venezuela, Argentina and Greece and some things like that or places like that. And so I wanted to talk a little bit about hyperinflation because this is a topic that always kind of comes up. But at the end, I'm going to shift. So hang tight to the end and uh, we'll see where uh, Ashley's husband, Jack kind of, you know, winds up on this article and and his ideas here. And then I want to shift, like I said, towards the end and talk about something that I think would be very beneficial to us if the economy starts to or continues to poop out. Let me just say that. So again, coming to us from practicalselfreliance.com, the article is entitled How to Prepare for Hyperinflation. So let's go ahead and get started. Inflation is never welcome, as we in the United States have learned with our recent bout of ever-increasing prices. After decades where the inflation rate seldom exceeds 2% year over year, seeing prices go up by 10% or more was a most unwelcome surprise for all of us. But those increases are nothing compared to hyperinflation, which is generally defined as inflation of 50% or more on a month-to-month basis. That means situations where the real buying power of the currency drops by half in just one month. Worse, once hyperinflation starts, it is very difficult to stop. After all, if you had just seen the value of your hard-earned money drop by half in a month, what would be your natural reaction? Probably to spend every dollar that you can spare on just about anything that might retain value. And everyone else having the same reaction will cause the market to become flooded with yet more currency, increasing prices further. And within months, you are recreating the picture from Zimbabwe and Weimar, Germany, of people pushing around wheelbarrows of formerly valuable currency just to buy a loaf of bread. Hyperinflation has occurred in many countries in the last hundred years, including in Germany, Hungary, Argentina, Brazil, Turkey, and Venezuela. In most cases, it took years for the hyperinflation to stop and then many years more for their e- economies to recover. So how could this happen and what, if anything, should you do to prepare for it? So the exact circumstances leading up to hyperinflation are always a bit different, but in the end, there's always a single root cause. A government encounters some crisis, like a war or economic crisis. In response, it prints large amounts of money to cover the cost. 
The increase in the money supply and doubts about the future stability of the currency cause citizens to exchange their inflating currency with hard goods while they can. Simple supply and demand result in prices increasing even further, and in response, the government prints even more money, attempting to spend its way out of the situation. Prices start increasing exponentially, and eventually anyone who held the currency is wiped out. So having debt when the economy is experiencing high inflation can be either disastrous or fairly good news. For variable rate debts, such as adjustable rate mortgages or arms or credit cards, the rates will tend to increase over time to keep up with the inflating currency, making payments even more burdensome. In contrast, if you have loans that are both low rate and non-adjustable, high inflation is literally free money as inflation eats away at the real value of the loan. For most people, the only such available loan is a mortgage. Anyone in the U.S. who took out a 2.5 fixed 30-year mortgage in 2021 just before inflation hit highs not seen in 40 years is doing very well for themselves. I just want to comment a little bit here. Um, Back when we had winter storm Yuri and we we saw all those crazy, you know, the, the the grid in Texas was going down and all that kind of stuff. Um, here in Texas, because we have like an open market and you can, you know, you can shop around for rates, I guess, for electrical rates. Um, one of the things that happened was those who had those variable rates in their electricity saw bills like $10,000 a month, right? Because um, the price of electricity at that time was so expensive that that's what they were that that's what it was going for although it was just really like a week that everything went down and those that have the fixed rate like you saw no difference and that's why here at least here in texas where we are i know that other parts of the country they don't have that open market um i always try to find a fixed rate and try to lock it in as much you know as long as possible but uh i was reading and then going into this low rate non-adjustable i was reading on a forum it might have been reddit where someone was talking about man i just got in under the you know before prices started going up on on their homes because people were talking about rent and and moving out and and you know buying houses and different things like that and uh, this one guy was like man i i just hit it just right timed it just right before everything was going up so yeah it's getting a lot harder to uh, buy a home nowadays and deal with you know with with the the interest rates right now so uh, that's one of those things so if you did get under the um you know the the you know in 2021 where you were able to take out a really low interest rate i mean you hit it just right you timed it just right all right so moving on here so you should work to pay down any high interest or variable interest loans you have hyperinflation or not that's just sound financial advice so whether you have 10 or 10 million in the bank it is yours losing 90% or more of the purchasing power of what you have worked to save is theft on a massive scale by an irresponsible government And if you think this is a situation worth being concerned with, it's good to have a plan to how at least you can limit the damage. So one very common solution for people overseas has been to either open bank accounts denominated in a foreign currency or get a hold of physical banknotes from that country. By holding their wealth in a stable currency, they avoid the hyperinflationary effects. For example, Holding U.S. dollars in the bank was very common in Argentina, which has experienced high or, at points, hyperinflation in several spells since the 1980s. 
However, foreign currency bank accounts can be risky in this situation, as Argentinians discovered when their U.S. dollar holdings in the banks were forcibly converted into rapidly depreciating pesos. In 2002, the Argentine government effectively decreed that a dollar was worth 1.4 pesos, even though the peso was worth much less in reality, and converted all private dollar bank accounts into pesos at the fixed rate. Within a year, the peso had lost over half of its value relative to the already fraudulent conversion rate. Yeah, that's one reason why you always hear, you know, keep your money out of the banks or at least, you know, keep some cash on hand. So physical banknotes are light, easily transported and safe from confiscation by government ruling, but they are also easily stolen by thieves. So you'll need good ways to secure or hide them. And that's the flip side of keeping cash on hand, right? So for people in many countries, holding U.S. dollars is the canonical store of wealth. It is estimated that over 80% of all $100 bills in existence are stored overseas, mostly by people in unstable countries who want to preserve their buying power. For those of us in the United States, this is both good and bad news. Everyone believes in the strength of the U.S. dollar and the U.S. economy, at least compared to their local currency. But it doesn't leave those of us in the United States many good alternatives. If the U.S. ever did experience hyperinflation, there would be no obvious safe currency for anyone to turn to. So lacking a reasonable state-backed currency to turn to, one option is cryptocurrencies like Bitcoin or Ethereum. There are some interesting benefits to cryptocurrencies, especially compared to physical banknotes or precious metal coins. They are usually effectively, infinitely subdividable, and you can send funds to anyone worldwide with a modest fee. But there are also downsides and dangers. Most cryptocurrencies are more volatile in price than many other assets. Depending on where you live, it may prove difficult to find anyone willing to exchange physical goods for a cryptocurrency transfer. There are stablecoin cryptocurrencies which attempt to provide a fixed price over time. But unfortunately, this price is usually denominated in dollars, which does not help much in a hyperinflationary scenario. Cryptocurrency holdings are also fragile. If you lose the cryptographic key, which is associated with your funds, they are gone forever. No do-overs. And storing your cryptocurrency on an exchange like Coinbase or FTX leaves it vulnerable to exchange failures or seizure, seizure by a desperate government. Several cryptocurrency exchanges, including FTX and MTGOX, have collapsed due to incompetence or outright fraud. Unlike a traditional bank, when this happens, there's little recourse and many people have lost large sums of money. Probably the safest way to store cryptocurrency in the long term is to save the keys to a pair of secure hardware devices and then store them in two different protected and hidden locations. Storing cryptocurrency properly, especially for the long term, is a complicated topic and you should do careful research before storing large sums in these systems. So let's jump to precious metals. So precious metals, especially silver and gold, are the classic safe haven when high inflation rears. But it is not so clear that either is particularly effective at preserving wealth in ordinary inflationary environments. Between January 2010 and today, the United States has, according to the Bureau of Labor Statistics, experienced inflation of 38%. During that same period, the price of silver, denominated in dollars, is basically unchanged and the price of gold is up perhaps 30%. So holding metal certainly does not seem like a great way to get rich. That said, if you expect a hyperinflationary collapse, precious metals would preserve at least some of your wealth. In addition to silver and gold, 
a stockpile of lead and steel, and that's in quotation marks for those of you who understand that, is always a welcome, a welcome trade good. So what do you buy before hyperinflation? If you're seriously concerned about hyperinflation, storing wealth in terms of durable goods is often a better option than currency, even hard metal currency. So first up is land. Land is the classic hedge against monetary inflation. As Mark Twain observed, they aren't making any more of it. This goes double if your land can actually produce income. If you can sell vegetables you grew in your garden, eggs from your chickens, or firewood from your woodlot, then you have a little help in keeping your head above water in hyperinflationary economy. Next up would be tools and industrial equipment. Tools, like anything from a 3D printer to a freeze dryer to a bulldozer, are relatively good stores of economic value. Like good land, tools can be used to produce income in the future. For example, if you have a freeze dryer, you can make and sell freeze-dried food or trade it for other goods you need. Knowing how to preserve food, be it by canning, salting, or freezing, drying, also inadvertently gives you access to food. If someone grew a bumper crop of food, you could offer to preserve it for them for a fraction of the crop. That's where having the tools, equipment, and know-how ahead of time really pays off in hyperinflation scenarios. As with anything, there are downsides. Tools useful for income generation are typically large and heavy, so you can only store so many of them, and if you want to sell one, moving it might prove tricky. But if you think you would be able to use some tool in your day-to-day life and or for income generating purposes later on, it's worth consideration. Next up is the quote-unquote lead and steel, right? As mentioned above, a stockpile of lead and steel is actually a better trade good than gold in most circumstances. Beyond their value as trade goods, those types of metals are also handy given the other consequences of hyperinflation, namely civil unrest and disorder. Then one of the other things you need to consider is skills. So last but not least, invest in yourself now by learning useful skills. Unlike a depreciating currency locked up in a failing bank, the skills you learn and maintain are yours forever. If you can bake bread, care for a child, forage for mushrooms, can food, build a simple website, fish, and fix a leaking sink, you will always have some way to make ends meet. Beyond simply storing and preserving wealth during hyperinflation, there are other considerations. If hyperinflation happens, it'll also naturally impact other parts of society. Hyperinflation disrupts the normal course of international trade because the exporting nations will have little interest in taking payments in a worthless currency, especially for the United States, which is heavily reliant on imports for many basic products. Life would be quite different. Think of the supply chain disruptions we saw in 2020 and make them 10 times worse. So acquire and maintain a stock of non-perishable food along with basic items for life, health, and happiness. These are useful in emergencies of all kind. Hyperinflation is not an individual experience. When it happens, the entire nation suffers. There will be discontent and some people will grow desperate. Have some means of self-defense, know your neighbors, and keep yourself healthy. So is hyperinflation likely in the United States? Thankfully, it really is not. For a variety of reasons, the U.S. dollar is considered a safe haven both by foreign governments and many people overseas who are happy to hold dollars as part of their portfolio. Don't panic. But also remember the prepper paradox, being on time is too late. By the time hyperinflation appears in a local newspaper headline, prices will have already spiraled far out of control. Be vigilant, have a plan, and be ready to execute if the circumstances call for it. 
So like I said, we would uh, get to the end where we see Jack's opinion of hyperinflation. Uh, I think if we were ever going to see hyperinflation in the United States, it would be like towards the end of the end, right? Because of this, uh, because everybody looks at the U.S. as a very stable currency. That doesn't mean that it's possible that it couldn't happen. So like I said, I kind of agree with Jack. I think that we're not going to see hyperinflation anytime soon, or at least if we do see it, it's at the end of the end, right? If, if that ever truly was to happen. What I think is going to happen is something that we've been talking about for a long, long time. It's that slow decline down where you know it's happening, right? I think we know it's happening. We accept it and we just live with it. So I, I think everyone is kind of there. And if you're not, I mean, you know, maybe maybe your eyes aren't open and maybe you're not feeling it like a lot of other people. But the example is that everything is costing more now, right? I mean, you can go to the grocery store, you can buy just a few bags of groceries and you're at $100 very, very easily. And that's if you're trying to buy decent food, right? Or not even if you're trying to buy decent food. You just, you know, it's really easy to get to $100 just like that. We have smaller packages now. And we've, we've all talked about that where you go to the store, it's maybe, maybe it costs the same, but the packages are smaller. There's a difference in the package and it's a slight difference. Maybe they're not putting as much in there, uh, but maybe it's just a little bit smaller. They're saving all the way around. And we just learn to do with that. We just accept it, right? So if the if, if we go to the grocery store and there's something that is more expensive or the package is smaller and it's the same price, we just accept it and we just buy it. I mean, how many times have you, you might've at first said, you know what, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to buy that. Maybe I'll look for an alternative. And then you buy, you buy like the generic version and your, and your family's like, no, this sucks. Right. And so you wind up getting, you go back and you're like, I'm just going to pay for, you know, the, the thing that I, that's more expensive or, you know, that uh, is the same, but it's smaller packages. You just, you just learn to deal with it. And so we just learn to do with it or we learn to do without you know, and just wind up paying for it, you know, or, 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 you know, go somewhere else with it. But the thing that I really wanted to kind of move into here is, and something that we always, you always hear about in preparedness is bartering. And a lot of the times, those of us who might read, uh, you know, prepper fiction and, you know, dystopian novels and things like that, eventually you get to a, a, you know, to a place like that, you know, eventually people start bartering or you get to a place where um, it's kind of like a, you know, like a farmer's market or, you know, whatever, but people are bartering for whatever it is. And maybe they, they've got silver, maybe you're bartering with something else, but that bartering always shows up. But, you know, in that dystopian, the dystopian prepper fiction novel stuff that we read, um, that's usually like, you know, because of a big, big collapse and, you know, everything is, you know, people are killing each other and it's all crazy and all that kind of stuff. But I always go back to what I saw. I saw a video, a documentary on Argentina when it first went through its hyperinflation and it opened up this big, and I know I've talked about it before in the past, but, uh, and I wrote an article on it and kind of tagged the video years ago on Prepper website. Um, I wrote it, I wrote it many years ago, but it was very insightful because people naturally went to this bartering situation and so bartering clubs actually and in this one situation it was like this big you know market and people would go and barter but they even created their own monetary system so it's like okay you know you had your own dollars that you would and i don't know how that would work exactly they didn't go into a lot of that 
but I would, you know, it somehow had to be to where it couldn't be ripped off or whatever. But uh, that was one of those things. Eventually, it's like, just like we we need, you know, when we talk about metals and stuff like that, we talk about one ounce coins and we talk about five five ounce bars and all those different kinds of things. And then people will talk about junk silver and they say, you know, if you had junk silver, well, then you had quarters and dimes. And so it's so much easier to kind of make change. And you have that ability to do that versus if you had a whole handful of, you know, American silver, uh, silver eagles. And so that's kind of the same thing that they dealt with. It's like, okay, I want to barter this and, and uh, you know, you have that, but it really doesn't equal out. So if you create this monetary system, you're able to do that. You're able to have this exchange. And so I thought that was really interesting. One of the other things that I remember um, Fernando Aguirre talking about is that people would, when we talk about precious metals and, and things like that, people would exchange pieces of their gold chains. So, you know, you wear a gold chain or you have some jewelry and people would say, okay, give me an inch of that necklace. And so right then and there, they would cut a piece off and that's what they would use in exchange for food or whatever it might've been. And I know that I've uh, interviewed Fernando on that, uh, you know, and we talked about that, you know, on other podcast episodes, and I'll link to a couple of those. And and if you're interested in, in listening to those, but bartering can be a great way to trade goods and services without using money and without going, going that route. So when it comes to bartering, the, the skills that are most valuable and, and, and not, not only just the skills, but the items that you have are really, it's going to be dependent on what other people need and what you're able to offer. And that's what's going to be really important there. Now, I know a lot of the times people talk about, you know, hey, stock up on cigarettes because people are going to want nicotine, you know, and stock up on alcohol because people are going to want that. But, uh, you know, think about other items too. you know, go back to 2020, go back to the, you know, where we were then to think about what was important and what you truly, uh, you know, needed and maybe not even just needed, maybe what you desired, because at some point, even Selko talks about this when he talks about, you know, the, the Bosnian war and he talks about all of that. It's like, there was times where you just craved a little bit of the old life. And so that you would trade or you would barter to get, you know, presents or to bring something in, you know, if someone was doing that on the black market to be able to have a little piece of what you used to know, what was, you know, life back in the day. And so you also have that aspect of it as well. So let's talk a little bit about bartering and maybe not just the items to barter, because you always have those kinds of lists where you can, Hey, barter this, this, and this. And really I don't put so much stock into that, because I think that that is going to change depending on who you talk to and what the needs are. But I really want to talk about skills because like the article said, like Jack said in the article, skills is something that when you, when you learn them, you can't have them taken away from you and you can always use them no matter what, whether you have the materials to do whatever it is that you know, you're being asked to, or if you're just offering the labor and the know-how part of that, and you're bartering that, and and they have the uh, the items, right? And so you know you have those skills that are available. So let's talk a little bit about that. One skill that I think would be highly valuable is just regular handyman skills. So if you're skilled at fixing things or doing home repairs, uh, this skill can be valuable to someone who needs help with their home or their car. 
So think about, you know, even if you were in this collapse scenario, you were in a scenario where, you know, money just wasn't around. But let's just say you still had natural disasters. You still had a hurricane come through. And here living in the in the Gulf Coast, that's something that would be very possible. You know, natural disasters don't stop because the economy is in the pooper. So let's just say we have a hurricane and shingles fall, fly off my, my roof, right? And I need someone to repair that because I don't want water to get in and in mold and all that kind of stuff. So finding someone who knows how to fix roofs, uh, knows how to, you know, maybe they have the supply, maybe they can, you know, scavenge, scavenge for some of the, uh, the, the, the supplies that are around. Maybe they can, I can find the ones that flew off my house or whatever, and they're able to repair that. How valuable would that be that you, you would need that? Or let's just say, you know, um, you you have a, a broken pipe or whatever, and you're able to barter with someone to be able to fix your pipe so that you have running water in the home. So handyman skill or a broken a broken window, you know, and I mean you can always put a board up, you can always kind of do that kind of stuff. But what if you know you had somebody that could replace that and they had an extra window or or they could do something along those lines? Another skill that would be very valuable is cooking and baking. So if you love to cook or you love to bake, you could offer meals or bake goods in exchange for goods and services. So I, I always go back. One of the the most interesting things that I remember when you know when we were in our lockdowns and everything was going to the grocery store and noticing that like the biscuits, and the, the cookies like, you know, that come in the tubes that those were always gone. I mean, they were like always gone. You couldn't, you couldn't get those. And it's like people like wanted that and they were making it at home. So like they would buy, get it and, and buy it up. And, and so I thought that was really interesting. And also one of the other things I remember like during the hurricane, hurricane Harvey, as soon as the grocery store started opening up, one of the things that was like completely wiped out was chips. I thought that was interesting. Chips and and eggs. And we've seen all the eggs, you know, all that kind of stuff recently, right? With the, the prices that have gone through the roof. But imagine like, you know, your kid, you know, has a, a birthday party and you want a nice cake. Normally you would go and you'd get that at Sam's, Costco. You go to the grocery store, you go to a bakery and that kind of stuff is just way out of range. But if you knew someone who could bake a cake and they had the supplies to do it, what would you barter for that for your kid's birthday? And you might not be able to do the big birthday party like they, they normally would have had, but you know, a cake is, is just, it's very, I mean, every, every birthday has a cake, right? It has some kind of thing like that cake or a pie or something along those lines, especially if you're talking about kids. And so how valuable would that be? Or just, just baking bread, being able to, to make loaves of bread and being able to, you know, trade that out for, for, you know, whatever it might be. So how, how great would that be if you have cooking skills and it's not really hard. And I would say cooking like right now you can get on YouTube and you can learn so much during the lockdowns. My son learned how to make all different kinds of things, uh, you know, and so that was, it's one of those great skills that you always carry with you. Another skill is just like creative skills, having talents for like painting and, and drawing and things like that, right? Creating art. And you might have though, that would be more, one of the more frivolous things, right? That you could do. But in talking about creative skills, I have bartered before, even when the economy wasn't in the pooper, I've bartered website, uh, 
you know, before, you know, like, Hey, you do this for me and I will create a website for you. And I've, I've done that before, um, actually several times. And so you can have those creative skills to be able to barter things out language skills. So if you're bilingual or multilingual, you could offer to teach someone a new language or translate documents in exchange for goods and services. That might be something that if you're in an area where there is, uh, you know, a lot of different languages spoken and you have the ability to do that and communicate with someone, that could be something that you don't always hear about in the preparedness community, but that could be something that would be valuable if you needed people to be able to communicate. Let's say you had someone who spoke Spanish and they needed to be able to communicate with people and they offered handyman skills, right? So they could come in and fix your fix your roof, they could fix your your fence, they could do all different kinds of things, but they couldn't communicate with someone who spoke English. But you could work as that intermediary with the language skills and you would get something some benefit of that. Um, technology skills. So if the, uh, the electricity is on, you know, the power is on and you, you have technical skills, that is something that would be very helpful, not only with helping people connect, you know, to the internet, not only helping people, but with ham radios and, and all the different kinds of things that are out there that we think of in, in a collapse scenario, but just technology, as far as maybe fixing things that might be on a circuit board or, you know, fixing a plug or those different kinds of things. Then you have uh, teaching and tutoring skills. Uh, now, if you were, if we were in a complete collapse scenario, that stuff would kind of go by the wayside for a little while, but eventually that would come back to, to play. And so if you were a teacher and you, uh, you know, you wanted to be able to teach kids how to read, I mean, people eventually would want their kids to learn how to read. And I think people understood during the, the lockdowns that they were doing one-on-one things with their kids. Um, they realized like teaching is, is not the same as, you know, you, you, you would have thought it was just kind of easy, like sit down and open a book. It's not as easy as that. And really there's a lot of other skills that we could talk about, you know, a lot of other skills that you can have there. Really one of the things that's really important in this is identifying your strengths and your skills and not to say, you know, like if you were to say, okay, one of my skills is cooking, not to say, oh, that's not that big of a deal. Everybody cooks. No, not everybody cooks. Not everybody can cook from scratch. Right. So if, if that's one of your things, you know, don't don't just downplay it, list out your strengths and skills and think about creative ways that you can use those to be valuable to other people. Just bouncing off of some other skills, like especially some that we talk about all in the preparedness community is like gardening skills right? What that's, that's one of those, you know, is like gardening skills. People would want to garden more, uh, especially during a collapse scenario, because they would think like, Hey, food and all of that kind of stuff. And they would need to know, uh, how to, how to, how to garden. And so being able to consult with people in your neighborhood or people around you, maybe even starting seedlings and being able to sell those and barter those. I mean, how great would that be? Or having seeds. I always kind of go back to the one, um, story by by James Wesley Rawls. I don't think it was Patriots. I think it was the one after that that um you know one of the one of the women uh one of the the moms told told this lady like hey you should like stock up on seeds and they did and then they were able to barter seeds you know for uh, you know a lot of things that they needed. They were actually able to open up a store later on down the road with all the things that they were bartering. And so that would be you know kind of like that exchange store kind of idea. 
if people are still working during during like a hyperinflationary situation or where time where people are bartering and money is out of control, if people are still going to work, their people are still going to need childcare. And so let's just say that they can't afford the normal childcare that they would do when, you know, paying for whatever, you know, the, the little childcare you know, place, you know, on the, on the corner or whatever of the neighborhood, but you could offer that in exchange for something else. Like, Hey, I will watch your kids in exchange for whatever else it might be. So being able to barter that, I think I talked about, uh, home repair and stuff like that. And there's always like car repair as well, being able to barter that, um, and, and all those different kinds of things. So when, when you think about bartering skills in, in place of money, there's a few things that we really need to, to think and have in mind to be successful and to have that fair exchange. So before you go into that bartering situation, before you go into you're ready to start, you know, working back and forth, you know, uh, a transaction with someone, there's a couple of things that we should think about. First is determine the value of your skills if you are offering skills or even if you're offering um if you're offering items, right? So determine the value of that. And then what is your value proposition? You need to be able to talk about your skills and how it would benefit that person, you know, that's that that you're bartering with. And so it's it's almost like uh you need to be like a salesperson on that. Like, hey, I can fix your roof, or I, I notice that this tree limb is hanging over your roof, and when the wind blows, it's hitting the roof. If you're not careful, it's going to put, you know, it's going to damage your roof. And then when it rains, you're going to have a leak. It's going to cause a leak in your house. It's going to cause mold. It's going to, you know, people are going to get sick. I can cut that tree limb down for you and haul it off, right? And so you have that value proposition and how it would benefit the other person. And whatever it might be that you're able to sell or whatever you're bartering, like why is that a benefit to someone else thinking about that? You would need to identify your needs and communicate with that clearly, right? So it's like you got to be specific of what you need in exchange for your skills. It's not just like, hey, you want to barter this? And like, hey, yeah, that sounds good. You, you need to be very specific. So like, hey, I am going to chop wood in exchange for, for food. And I th- and you got to agree on that exchange. Like, do you agree? Yes, I agree. And, and you and you have that idea, but you need to be very specific on that deal. It's almost like a contract when you think about, it. you know, and 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 a contract before you start the work. So, for instance, if we go to this chopping wood, you know, versus the expectation of of what they have, what you have in your mind, and what they have in their mind. So they might have, you might have like, I'm going to chop this wood right here and I'm going to leave it right here. In their mind, he's going to chop the wood and he's going to move it over here where it's going to dry for, you know, for a season or whatever. And so being able to be very, very clear on the expectations of everyone, you know, it's like what, you know, I'm going to chop the wood. What do you want? With the, do you want it just left here? Because then if, you, if you're talking about moving it, well, that might be extra 
you know, on top of that, because you might've thought, Hey, that wasn't part of the deal. So I'm going to go ahead and add a little bit more to the bartering exchange here because of if it's for food. And then if it's for food, it's like, okay, it's for a loaf of bread It's for a loaf of bread and some canned goods. It's for, you know, a dozen eggs, some milk and some, and some bread, whatever it might be. Right. And so you're being very specific about what needs to go down. And the other thing is like, what's the timeline? You know, is this something that needs to be done today? Is this something that needs to be done, uh, you know, over the next week or whatever? And if that's the case, when do I get the exchange? You know, when do I get that food? When do I get the eggs? When do I get that kind of thing, right? And the other thing is like, in order to to barter, you're going to have to be flexible because what you might think, you might think you have something that is really valuable and you can you can use that, Um other people might not ever ever experience that. And if you kind of hold on or expect that, and so if you kind of hold on to that, you might be losing out on some deals. You might need to be flexible and like, okay, I need to give in a little bit here to be able to, um, you know, I need to compromise a little bit to be able to go through with this transaction. Again, you really need to think about it like a negotiation and you really need to think about it like a contract. And here's the thing, you want both parties in, in a negotiation, you want both parties to walk away satisfied because you never know what opportunities that one exchange might bring into uh, in the in the future. So you're working with someone and you're chopping wood and the neighbor is able to talk to their neighbor and or, you know, see you working it or, uh, you know, the person that you're chopping wood for is able to go and, and uh, you know, has a neighbor who is, you know, single, whatever. And it's like, hey, this guy did a great job for me. And that opens up other opportunities for you. So if you can, you can treat people right and you have that great exchange with them, that great negotiation, it can open up so many opportunities for you down the road. You know, how many, how many times has someone shared, uh, someone, you know, even, even like on next door, I see this all the time on the next door app or on uh, face, even Facebook marketplace, but mostly, uh, or not Facebook marketplace, um, the Facebook group, uh, my neighborhood group. And people would say, Hey, I'm looking for someone to a, a plumber, right? Actually, that's the way I found my plumber. I found him on next door. So I went to my neighborhood on next door and I'm looking for a plumber because we were in a, a situation where we had a leak and we needed to get it fixed. It was early in the morning. I went to next door and I, you know, I searched recommendation for plumbers and a couple of guys came up and, and one of them was like, people were like really raving about this guy and this company. And so I called them up and they, you know, right at eight o'clock in the morning they called me. It's like, Hey, yeah, we can be right over there. And so they did. And I've used them probably four or five times now throughout the years off of that one recommendation. So think about it's the same kind of situation when you're, when you're bartering and you want to have that great reputation there. And of course that, again, that all comes with being respectful and, and, and knowing uh, how to treat other people, right? Because you never know how the benefit is going to come back in the long run. So, one of the things that he talked about here in the article that Jack talked about was tangible goods. So if the economy turns bad, you know, people are going to want tangible items um, to weather the storm. And so some of the things, and I'm, this is not an exhaustive list. There are plenty of lists on the internet and uh, I'm not really going off of those. Um, you know, I'm not, I'm not planning on reading those, you know, like a hundred things to barter or whatever. You can find all those. Again, it's going to be dependent on where you are, who you are, what you need, and your situation. 
And so don't go off of one of those lists. <laughs> I always, I always, uh, I remember back in the day when, when I was starting proper website and I had the Facebook uh, page or group or whatever. And someone's like, I bought a whole pallet of Bic lighters, right? I'm like, come on, you know, what do you, what do you mean? How are you to barter? Right. That was the thing I'm t- to barter. And so maybe they read one of, uh, Selko's articles, you know, how he filled up propane. Uh, he used propane to fill up, you know, lighters and stuff like that. You know, and that was kind of like the make do. But I, I just, that to me, that's like a bad buy. That's not something that you would need because there's so many different ways to, to make fire. And, uh, you know, Selko's situation was different. They were in a city. There was only certain things that they could burn, you know, over the course of a year, they were burning furniture. They were burning all different kinds of things. You know, they've used up all the wood. And, but if you, if the United States was to go into something like that, there's plenty of ways to, to make fire. And I don't know, to me, that was just not a smart buy, but some of the things that people would want definitely, you know, non-perishable food and water. A lot of people would say, you don't want to barter that uh, because you're going to want that for your family. But if you have a way to create that, maybe you have a way to forage. Maybe you have a, you're a great gardener and you're able to produce fruit and, and vegetables more than you can. Then that might be something that that you want to do. If you have a lot of chickens, you have some rabbits. Uh, you know, you have uh, you know some goats, some milk, and you're able to do that. Um, going back to uh, Mick Rowland's uh, you know book right of of the dairy cows and, and stuff like that and what you can do with that and and how people were you know you work it and you get your share of it and all that kind of stuff so non-perishable food and water definitely that's something that people would want um, if you had like a, a fig tree and um, you know it gave a lot of figs and you knew how to can that and make jelly and you had the containers for that I mean you know that would be valuable to be able to, to switch that out so someone would have something sweet to put on maybe the bread that they made so that's something to, to think about. People are always going to want medical supplies. When uh, it was very heartbreaking when you read about Venezuela and you you read articles and doc, you know doctors and nurses were quoted and people were in the hospital and they had no medicine whatsoever other than ibuprofen to give people that were in pain. That was it, right? Ibuprofen. And so, you know, it's it's one of those things that um you know, you run into that even in modern day life where, you know, you run out of medical supplies. So people would want some medical supplies. What if someone, you know, was constipated or, uh, someone was, you know, had an infection and you had some antibiotics, even if there were older antibiotics, what would, what would someone, uh, trade for that for their kid to have, to have, you know, antibiotics for an infection? Um, always you hear about fuel and heating sources, Right, that's something that that you hear about. You know, you want to cook, and how would it? You know, um, easy ways to cook and things like that. Uh, tools and equipment. So that could include hammers, saws, wrenches, other basic tools. Uh, I think one of those things is if you have like a solar power setup, and you have so many people that have power tools. You know, the the electrical, you know, the battery operated power tools. If you could offer that, like, hey, I will charge your your battery. You know, I think that would be beneficial for people. Um, so anyway, having tools and equipment and things that you could do that, or even, you know, people had a tablet and it's like, Hey, I, I love reading and there's not a lot to do, but reading, but I can't, uh, I don't have any power. So let me, you know, will you charge up my, uh, my tablet and then I will whatever exchange this or whatever, um, Cash and precious metals, you know, uh, precious metals, I think is, is, is very valuable, um, in something like this, um, 
having the, I already mentioned the junk silver and having it like in dimes and, and, and quarters and things like that. Um, even you can buy even fractional, uh, ounces of silver coins and gold coins and things like that. Um, think about back in the lockdown. So normally this wouldn't come up, but think about the protective gear that everybody was looking for back then. I remember buying nitro, nitro gloves, right? I, I had those, I had plenty of those gloves starting out. And then as we were going on, I'm like, okay, man, um, I got to, you know, buy some more. And there were, so, they're so expensive right now. They're, it's like triple the amount that they were before anything happened with the pandemic. And it's like, oh my gosh, you know, it's like, I, I want to resupply, but look at that. And the same thing is like, you, you just wind up eating it and you buying it. And so you, you have to go ahead and do that. But think about, think about how people were looking for masks and, you know, the government was like, Hey, give your mask to the hospitals so that they can use it and all that kind of stuff. And so think about how valuable that might be if there was uh, a pandemic or something along those lines, if you had that, or just how valuable it would be for your, for your family. And then the basic household things, you know, like the hygiene stuff. Uh, we've talked about that way, 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 you know, so many times in the past um, about stocking up with hygiene, hygiene items. And that was one of the things that, and I know that I talked about this before. Sometimes I feel like a broken record, but uh, when things were going down, you know, when when the lockdowns were were right before the lockdowns. I had been paying attention to it. I was talking to my church about it and letting them know, Hey, you got to get some supplies just in case this thing goes sideways. And then right before we left on spring break, I pulled in my team. And back then I wasn't, I wasn't the director yet. So I, I asked permission and I asked my supervisor, I'm like, can I talk to the team about this? I just feel like I need to. And we pulled them all in. I said, Hey, look, you're going on spring break. And you know, while you're on spring break, it might be, smart for you to stock up on some food and some hygiene items. Worst case scenario is you don't have to go to the store and be around people if you're locked down for a while and you're good and you're healthy. You know, uh, best case, you know, yeah, uh, best case scenario, right? Is you're good and you have, you're stocked up. Worst case scenario is you have, uh, you know, extra hygiene items and extra food and you don't have to go to the grocery store for a, for a little while anyway. Right. So it's kind of like a win-win either way. Uh, you're not, you're, you're not spending a lot of money on stuff that, that you're not going to use eventually down the line. And it's so many people after things were locked down, so many people were like, Todd, thank you so much. Thank you so much for telling me that, you know, I talked about the toilet paper, you know, and you know, it's always kind of like a joking thing. But they're like, thank you so much for that. I, I appreciate that. And I told my team, there was a couple of people that I worked with in the past. I still had their 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 phone numbers in my in my phone. And I texted them. I'm like, just copy pasted, copy pasted. And they're like, hey, thanks so much for this. And, and they were even texting me later on down the road. Thank you so much for letting me know that and, and, and letting me know that this was something that was that that was uh, that was coming down. You know, I had no clue about this or didn't even think about stuff like that. So Think about those things that you wanted back then. And again, you never know what would be important for people in that kind of a situation. So bartering, the thing is that you can do bartering right now. You don't have to, and like I said, I've, I've bartered before and, and that's something that you just put it out there. You know, if you don't approach someone with it, you never, you never know if it's going to be something that, that they would want to do or not, but Hey, I'm willing to do this. If you're willing to do that and kind of lay it out there, um, who knows? And then if things get dire, 
you have a little bit of skill in negotiating and kind of going back and forth and, and maybe you have an idea what people might want out there. So anyway, great article guys, like always, and a great blog, go take, check out practical self-reliance. Uh, I'm going to link to it in the, in the show notes so that you can go and check it out. And, uh, they have a lot of other great stuff over there. So thank you to them for that guys. That's it for episode 782. If you found this episode valuable, I would appreciate a review wherever you listen to podcasts. And if you haven't subscribed to make sure you click the subscribe button in your favorite podcast app. And that way you never miss another episode of sweet prepper goodness. And lastly, don't forget to join the email list. If you haven't, when you do, I'm going to send you my blackout checklist to know what you should do before, during, and after the lights go out. And with that, choose to live a more self-reliant life. Choose not to be so dependent on the government grid or the grind until next time live with no regrets and stay prepped and aware. Peace.